Beloved, our scripture reading is found in the book of Joel. We're on Joel chapter 2, and I'll read to you verses 1 to 11. Page 761 in the Pew Bible. Now hear the word of God as recorded through the pen of the prophet Joel. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains. A great and powerful people. Like their like has never been before, nor will ever be again after them. Though the years of all generations, fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses. Like war horses they run. And as with the rumbling chariots they leap on the tops of the mountains like crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble. Like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, people are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his own way. They do not swerve from their path. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and they are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earthquakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters His voice before His army. For His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes His word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank You again. And Lord, I found it necessary again just to say an extra prayer. Because we want to behold You in the right manner. May that happen now. We thank You, Lord. In Your precious name, we pray again. Amen. You know, beloved, as we go in the book of Joel, and, and uh, you may be seated, as we go through the book of Joel, we, we remind it of, of what really is the book of Joel's theme. Right here. The day of the Lord. And uh, it talked about it last week, that this day of the Lord is near. 
And what happened that the nation of Israel experienced a nationwide catastrophe. Locusts came upon the land, swarm after swarm, and they devoured the land. And the devastation was so great. Famine. Animals hunger. There is no water. And the most significant point was they're not able to make offerings to the Lord. There's nothing to offer. You see, beloved, when we begin to look at this, How should we respond? As we talked about last week, our our response should understand that God has multiple purposes. Sometimes it is judgment upon the land. Sometimes He has another purpose, like the man that was born blind that we talked about in the Gospel of John. So that God's glory would be exalted and would draw man to God in such a way. But in this context, we know it's because Israel has lost their way. The sin again is not spelled out. But the reality is. You know, as we, as we look at this, we are reminded that God wants us to call upon Him. No matter how we view that calamity, no matter what the, the purpose of God is, and it's beyond us, we do know one thing. All things will bring glory to Him. And no matter what, He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to take this opportunity for you to heed Him and come to Him. And this is also a warning upon the the nation because as we talked about the, the plague and the locusts and the devastation, and this is nothing compared to the day of the Lord. This is nothing compared to the coming judgment. And may I ask, this is even nothing compared to the eternal consequences of the end result of the great white throne judgment. Heed. Heed. Before it's too late. Now, again, we look at this chapter and we see this is the proclamation of the alarm for the day of the Lord. But the reason why we had in our Scripture reading earlier, we include it in in our second Scripture reading in our worship service of Joel chapter 2 verses 12 through 17 
is to remind us that God is also offering hope. God is also offering mercy. And He wants to give mercy to the people. But they can't have that mercy unless they repent and come to Him. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. We ended by the need to seek God and to cry out to Him. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. The flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up and the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. We ended by, hey, this devastation, I understand, came from you, so we must call upon you. This sin has been nationwide, and therefore it calls for a nationwide repentance and humbling of themselves to the Lord. Because this is nothing compared to the day of the Lord. Our first scripture reading was found in Ezekiel 33 as the prophet sounding the alarm. And this is what we see in the book of Joel. Blow a horn in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. The day of the Lord is at hand. And the the prophet is called to go to Zion upon the holy mountain. Why? Because this is a holy war. But what is different is not that the nation of Israel or the people of God are battling for the cause of God. It is rather God Himself that has raged war against them. But make no mistake, God is warning them, but God is also offering His love and mercy to them. This can be averted if you come to Me. Because I love you. And I want to bestow upon blessing and mercy upon you. Now when we look at this and and we we see it, uh, you begin to understand from basically from 2b all the way through 11. It's describing uh, an, an army that is coming. The question is, is this army that is coming, is it locusts? Is it uh, the continuation of of what has happened in chapter 1? And uh, is it locusts again that is going to be coming upon the land, uh, causing this havoc? 
Well, some things to consider as we look at this, because when we go to this, we need to answer the question first, what is really happening? Is this another swarm of locusts coming upon them? Or is this a symbol of literal people that are coming upon them? Well, locusts had already occurred. This event literally happened. As we know, the pasture of the wilderness, the flame has burned. All the trees of the field, the, the beasts of the field pan for you because the water brooks are dried up. It's describing an event that has occurred. Again, from verses 16 through 20 of chapter 1. Then also, uh, later on in in verse 25 of chapter 2, I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter of my great army, which I sent among you. Past tense. But as in verse 15 of chapter 1, alas... For the day of the Lord is near, and the destruction from the Almighty, it comes. And chapter 2 here, verse 1, Alas, for the day of the Lord is near. Oh, I'm sorry. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the heavens of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. It is yet future. And so... We see that he's describing this day of the Lord and is still in greater detail now. It is different from chapter 1 where it is saying the day of the Lord is near and the way it is different is it's still future, but now it is actually describing the day of the Lord. Describing the event that will occur. But I still hasn't answered that question. Is the locust in chapter 1, now in chapter 2, because there is still similar language, is it literal locusts? Or is it people? Well, many that, that say that it's just literal locusts, they point to terms like, Like, like. Because the text doesn't say people. The text says like. Their appearances are like horses. Like war horses, they run. You you know, um, people are described, or, or is it just people only as described in relation to locusts. Robert Chisholm in in his um, commentary interpreting the, um, the minor prophet says, he says this, he says, this close association between locusts and armies was natural since both had similar effects upon the land and agriculture and produce. Another possibility is that neither locusts nor men are described. As wolf 
suggests locust-like apocalyptic creatures along the lines of those described in Revelation 9, uh, 2 through 11. This would explain both the locust-like qualities as well as those comparison to human armies. But third, there is no doubt that the army of, of 2, 1 through 11 is described in locust-like terms, probably to stress the continuity between the locust invasion of chapter 1 and the day of the Lord which is pointed. Locusts had come, more locusts were on the way. Now, what is this? If it is a coming invasion, uh, um, those who have taken this book, remember, if they take it that Joel was written before the exile, then this is the coming evasion of the Assyrians. The coming captivity that will happen upon the land. But, as we'll see later on, I think that Joel refers to the captivity. And so, as Robert Chisholm points out, he doesn't really know the exact army that is referring to. He doesn't really know the exact coming invasion. But it's coming. But it's on its way. You know, the, the best way to take this is to understand that locusts the thought of locusts really is continuing in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, it is a picture of locusts. But the locust is seen as a metaphor, extending that continuity from chapter 1 to chapter 2, that, that metaphor, there is a coming judgment just like you have seen, just like you have endured, but it is far more intense. It's going to be far greater, and it will, it will be like you have something you have never, ever seen before. Again, chapter 1 is connected to chapter 2 because locust serves as a foreshadow of the day of the Lord. And the locusts thus are seen as an extended metaphor for the day of the Lord. You know, as the commentary of the Minor Prophets points out, the prophet uses recent plague language as a foreshadow of the impending day of the Lord. The judgment when the Lord Himself will come and head of His own heavenly army in war, a holy war against evil. The threat in this case will not come from a particular historical foe, but from the Lord's own army. It is true as you look at the book of Habakkuk that the Lord is the one that was ultimately in control of sending the Babylonians. Though He did not do their haughtiness and sinfulness, nevertheless, they accomplished the very purpose of God. We must come to the conclusion, and, and uh, we must come to the conclusion as I talked about last week. The atheist can only explain calamities as an accident. 
The atheist, the one that denies the true character and being of God, denies that there could not have been a purpose behind this. It is an accident. And if God did do this, they impugn the character of God. Of how could a God that you say is all loving allow this to happen to innocent people? Allow this to happen to little babies and children? They forget they forget the point that God is trying to make. All are guilty and all need to come to me. And sometimes that calamity in life is not seen as just God being callous and indifferent, but a wake-up call for you to come. Come to me. Um, this is what is happening. Because we understand that we have a God that is active in His creation. We are not like the atheists that have no hope, who see no purpose. The purpose is behind God and for God. Joel sounds the warning. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. The priest's duty of that day was to blow the horn on specific occasions. And on the holy mountain is to remind the people, these people, that this is a holy war. Again, the problem is not a war on God's behalf. Or the call is not to warn them to take up arms to rage war on God's behalf. It is to warn them that God is at war with them. And he's attacking. But notice the theophanic language. What is a theophany? It is God making an appearance like the burning bush and revealing himself through those other means. This really is theophanic language. Because we must understand God is present. God is involved in this. God is appearing to them. Now, notice the, the words in, uh, in verse 2. A day of darkness and gloom a day of clouds and thick darkness. And so you have, again, darkness, gloom, a day of clouds. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10 and 13. How on that day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. The Lord said to me, gather the people to me and let them hear my words so that they learn to fear me, and all the days that they live on earth, that they may teach their children, 
And then verse 11. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire and the heart of heaven wrapped in what? Darkness, cloud, and gloom. God is there. God wants them to make no mistake or to them to have no confusion, rather. I'm the one that's here. I'm the one that is doing this. It is I. And so when he said the day of darkness, gloom, the day of clouds and thick darkness, yes, it is describing judgment, but it's describing God Himself is officiating this, is doing this, is the cause of this judgment. God is bringing this judgment. Amos 5, verses 18 and 20, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light, as if a man fled from a lion, and a bear met him, and went into the house, and learned his hand against a wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? It is nothing, end of quote. This is nothing like they've ever experienced before. Nothing like they've ever seen before. And it will be, nor will it be again after them through the years of all their generations. And then the army of the Lord. Again, picture locusts. And he's picturing them, but you know my fear when I send my army, when I do this destruction, you've already seen the locusts and, and, I, and I want you to imagine them. Verses three to five to um, three to five. Fire devours before them and behind them. A a flame burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, like war horses. They run, and with the rumbling of the chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like crackling of flames of fire, like devouring the stubble, like a powerful army. The locusts are seen like fire, like to fire and horses and the, and, and the locusts are, are seen as swarming and they're making the sound and, and I want you to picture the sound and, and as all the locusts are swarming they're coming swarming and swarming and swarming it is like a forest fire and as the forest fire is raging on and, and that sound of that flame that is raging on is like the locusts coming, making all that noise and knowing that they're bringing all that destruction. And they're bringing all that devastation just like a fire because everything they're doing is that what? They're devouring it. Leaving nothing. 
You know, I remember it was a, a number of years ago, and, and uh, I remember my uh, my grandma Paralis, uh, Grandma Anna, and who my oldest daughter was uh, was uh, partly named after that, and the, the prophetess of Anna and uh, in the New Testament. But also, I remember going through that time that there was a a great fire. You remember of uh, of Yellowstone Park, and it just devoured acres upon acres. Uh, you, you were talking, you know. I remember going there, and there was a portion of Yellowstone Park National Park, and all it literally was was black. And as far as I could see, and I looked every direction at this particular point of view, it was just black. Nothing there. The fire devoured it. And that is the description of the coming of the Lord. He's coming and He's the one that is doing this devastation. And remember, when calamities come, yes, sometimes in this context, it is because of judgment. But sometimes we don't know why the calamities are coming. But we do know that God is big enough to take responsibility. And we should come to Him and turn to Him. You know, Joel gives this description of this divine army that is coming. And it burns before and after. You know what else we think of when we think of fire? God, the pillar of fire. What is our proper response to this? It should be awe. It should be a godly fear to come to Him. Verse 6, Before them peoples are in anguish, all faces grow pale. The point is, when you, when you come into the, the presence of God, this is why we need the new covenant. This is why God sent Jesus. This is why we remember the work of the cross. Because no man can stand before the presence of a holy God. But we can... Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So that we can stand in the presence of God. All those who have repented and believed. God who called out a people to Himself. Even now, in this saying, 
The response of God is not for you to quiver and crumble. And I, I remember this because I know the proper way. You know, sometimes as a parent, and you can be overbearing and you can bring out that justice, but what you don't want is your child to flinch at you when you walk by them. The purpose of this day for God's people is not that they would flinch and just tremble in fear. But to have a fear that causes them to trust and return to Him in repentance and faith. Because He loves them. He loves them. The locusts are seen as this invading army. Seven to nine says, like warriors, they charge, like soldiers, they scale the wall, they march each his own way, they do not swerve from their paths, they do not jostle one another, each marches in his path, they burst through the weapons and are not halted, they leap upon the city, they run upon the walls, they climb into houses, they enter through the windows like a thief. You know what this reminds me of? The eighth plague. In Exodus, which is locusts. Five and six of chapter 10, they cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. They eat what is left to you. After the hail, they, they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. They shall fill your houses and, and the houses of all your servants and all the Egyptians, neither as your father nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. This is a picture of the day of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 44, 43 and 44, but let me read a portion of 43. Knowing what is in the part of the night, the thief was coming. And he was staying awake, and you would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in the hour that you do not expect. Remember, if this is a metaphor, using the locust as a metaphor, this is the coming judgment that is upon them. And it is real. This could be the coming invasions of human armies. We know the wrath of God in the Scriptures talk about the literal seven-year tribulation period. And then Christ will come again and reign as King. We see it as a literal thousand-year reign. But don't miss the warning. Don't miss the warning. Joel gives the conclusion. He says, The earth quakes before them, the, the heavens tremble, the, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters His voice before His army, for the camp is exceedingly great. 
he who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And even here, I believe he's leaving the metaphor of the locust to fully concentrate on God. Behold, this is God. Behold, this is the God that we have to endure and to meet. You know, sometimes I, I, I don't get it. This is how strong sin is. This is how strong man's heart is in rebellion who says, I am the maker of my own domain. I am the ruler of my own life and my heart. And I make God as how I see Him. And then things come upon their life that they can't explain. And things come upon them that they can't Explain away in any shape, way, or form. The reality has hit. The calamity has arised. But instead of coming to God, they continue to deny Him. I've done a lot of funerals in my life, beloved. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've officiated so many. And sometimes what the biggest tragedy is this. A man lives his life without God, but yet at that funeral, for some reason, some way and how, that person walked with God. And they praise God. It is empty hope. Because in their heart of hearts, they realize God has to be real. Let's give him this half hearted kudos. And they go on their way. God is seen as the as the warrior. Look at Judges chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, and you see God is the warrior. Look at Nahum chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Who can stand before His indignation? Who can endure the heat of His anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by Him. And He answers this question, or He asks this question in, in right here in, in Joel, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? The answer is... No one. No one can endure it. Malachi 3.2 But who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? He is like a refiner's fire, fuller's, like fuller's soap. He's reminding them Don't play with God. But this is not God's way of beating you with a bat. This is not God's way of of making a, a forced confession. This is not like God uh, of of of, uh, of taking prisoners and uh, and uh, and inflicting pain so they would have a forced confession. 
This is God being real and being honest and being truthful and laying it out in their hands because what He really wants from them is to come home. Return to Me. You see, that's what we'll get into next week and we see the the beauty of it all. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to Me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. And notice what he describes, because he just described a coming invasion that no one can escape. Who can escape the wrath of God? No one can. And we couldn't. This is why Jesus had to die on that cross. Because the wrath that was coming for me, for my sin, for my iniquity, for my shame, that defiled me, was given to Him. And if anybody knows a true believer, it isn't a person that comes up and says to somebody else, it isn't a view of Christianity, I am better than you. Because there's nobody with privilege before God. Nobody that is worthy that wasn't tainted by sin. But rather, if God can save me, surely He can have mercy on you. I'm not better than you. I was just like you, like every other man and every other woman before God in need of Jesus in need of a Redeemer you see unsaved man will say who is this God how dare he judge me like this After all, I'm not as bad as such and such. Not as bad, and I never did such and such. But all are guilty before the sight of God, and nobody can escape it. God is gracious. God is good. God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. You know what the cross is? You know what propitiation is? Propitiation is is Jesus satisfying the wrath of God. But you know also what it is? God relenting concerning me. Because that wrath is no longer for me. That judgment that I deserve is no longer mine.
God relented of my coming judgment. Of the wrath that I deserved. And then I wake up every morning understanding that He's long-suffering. And I wake up every morning understanding He is so gracious to me. And I wake up every morning understanding His sovereign love. But the whole point of the matter is this. If we don't come to grips with the reality of sin, who can escape the judgment of God? But if we come to grips with it, this, the Lord's table that we will celebrate and remember is that whole idea of God relenting from His anger towards me. Glory to God. And I know His love and His mercy endures forever. In closing, I want you to think of what is folly. You know what folly is? Folly is making God in your own image. Folly is refusing to come to Him. And folly is, it didn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be like this. Sound the alarms! The day of the Lord is near! Who can survive it? Who can endure it? You who come back to Him. You who repent from the heart and not through outward means and come to Him. Amen? Glory to God. We can't see the wrath and not understand how great His love is. Glory to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time and privilege it is to come and to worship You again. And Lord, we ask that You prepare our hearts now. Because now we understand our sin and the anger towards our sin was propitiated on the cross. And You relented concerning us. You are slow to anger. You are merciful and gracious. You are all that You have claimed to be. The light of the world. The bread of life. The living water. You, You alone have given us purpose in this fallen world. You, You alone have given us direction and meaning. The cross, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, not only does He give us eternal life, You, O oh God, are our life. And we praise You for it. And we remind us that You control all. And Lord, that You are always hearkening Your people to come to You. 
Oh Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, if there's someone that does not know You in this manner, that they would turn from their sin, cry out to You as beggars, empty-handed, seeking to be saved from their sin and the wrath to come, knowing that Jesus died on that cross in the sinner's place and endure that wrath as their substitute. The only way of salvation. He died on that cross in the sinner's place, delivered up because of our transgression, and raised up the third day because of our justification. Thank you for the new covenant and the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.